anyone who tries to make a moral equivalence between Trump and Hillary Clinton is missing everything and is actually aiding and abetting the erosion of our democracy. From Futuro Media and PRX, it's In the Thick, a podcast about politics, race, and culture. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. Dude, we have such a special guest with us. Yes. It's like, is this real? Yes. It is 2022, and we are in the studio in Washington, D.C., in person, with the fabulous Jonathan Capehart. Woo! Associate editor at The Washington Post, host of the Cape Heart podcast, and anchor of MSNBC Sunday Show. Hey, Jonathan, in person! In person, and this is my opportunity to be like all, I'm with Pulitzer Prize winning Maria Hinojosa. You know, know, I I told this is what I've told her, Jonathan. That victory lap is going to be continuous. Because it's a community lap. The love that Jonathan says that with is that that I've been in the trenches with you for decades. That's why it's a community win. It means a lot that you would say that. It has to be the first four words of any introduction. Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And then Maria Nelson. Said by the Jonathan K. Park. We captured that. Okay. All right. Thank you, honey. All right. So listen, the last time you were on the show, Jonathan, it was 2019. Wow, that's right. Yeah, I'm going to take you back. So at the time, we were talking about the Mueller investigation. (laughs) I know. What a thing, right? Which was looking into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Wow. And the links between associates of former President Trump and Russia, right? Wow. It was led, of course, by former FBI Director Robert Mueller, who was awake for much of it. Um, Okay, here we are. Three years later, Jonathan. Three years later, and we're still talking about Trump's criminality, okay? Could it get worse? It gets worse. So we're going to get into the latest Department of Justice investigation into Trump, as well as, you know, the fearful state of our democracy. But first, because we're in person, because we are colleagues and friends, how you doing? I know you're looking at me like, what's she going to ask me? We actually want to know, like, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? Like, what's your temperature check? I mean, I am fine. Uh, I am much better today with Joe Biden as president of the United States than I ever was with Donald Trump as president of the United States. My level of anxiety is not as high as it was during the previous administration. But I also recognize, and I would say this to my husband, the forces unleashed by Donald Trump's campaign Mm. and presidency Mm -hmm. are not going away, and that we know. And I said to my husband, I would much rather be living through this moment with a President Biden than living through this moment with a President Trump, meaning we're still going through it and there's still reason to be anxious. There is even more reason to be concerned about the state of our democracy and where things are going in this country. But the fact that, you know, Joe Biden is in the White House and Kamala Harris is his vice president is what keeps me relatively calm. And it's allowed me to enjoy life a little bit (laughs) more than I did between June 16th, 2015 and January 20th, 2021. Just a little bit. Well said. I mean, I guess it's true. I guess our anxiety level is a different kind of anxiety. Right. I mean, we're not being targeted day in, day in, you know, it feels a little invisible. It's it's complicated. Right. But, you know, but here we are now talking you know, you, you mentioned the Mueller investigation. I mean, the Mueller. How all those quaint times. Yeah. Remember Robert God. Mueller? I mean, 
But now we're with this DOJ investigation into Trump. I mean, government records, you know, your outlet is doing amazing. Amazing reporting. reporting. The Post is just crushing it. But I mean, not just government records. I mean, Maria, you just said, could it get any worse? I mean, the Mueller report was like ye olden days. (laughs) And today we're talking about not only stolen government records by a former president of the United stolen. States, but stolen top secret in his house, top his secret safe. documents of the military posture of another country, including its nuclear capabilities. And some people in the government, senior national security officials, don't have access to this. They don't yeah. even know this information. But it right. happens to be in Mar-a-Lago, which. Last time Such I a checked, safe place, Mar-a-Lago. Exactly, Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> the people that have come in and out of Mar-a-Lago, Jeez. and they just happen to be there. They just happen to be there. I mean, I've never been to Mar-a-Lago. Thank God, please. And you know, nor will I ever. But I mean, come on. If any of us had had even remember Reality Winner printed out one Exacto. one exactly. classified document, and she went to jail. This is exactly what That's I said. That's what we talked about last week. Last week, I said, if it was any of us in this room, oh, no. yeah. we would have been up against the wall on the firing squad. If it was President Obama, firing squad for traitor and treasonous. And no. here we are. Like, But let me ask you this, because one of the things in the last couple of weeks where you see, and again, just not go back to last week's show, but I was like, this is like a very easy law and order case, <laughs> you know, from <laughs> doink, doink. exactly. You know, doink, doink. Because there's a lot of conservative you know, jurists and lawyers who are saying this is an open and shut case. But we were talking about sort of the Trump, you know, strategy of deflecting, smoke screening a la Roy Cohn. You know, that's basically mm-hmm. what he does. And the enabling of that, because by throwing all these like distractions, he has been giving equal time in a lot of ways to defend. Like it's a bullshit defense, I think. Right. But your thoughts on just how the, the media is kind how of- it's being handled. How serious? Because to me, this is like, if he is not indicted, then something's up with our country here. And what is it? Oh, there's so many questions. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> many questions. <laughs> so many questions in there. Resolve it as a black man, please. <laughs> right. As a black man in America. <laughs> uh, let me tell you that this is all kinds of jacked up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. There is so much in your question. We can break it down. Again. The idea that nuclear secrets made their way out of secured government facilities into the hands of then the president of the United States, taken to his beach resort, which has, you know, security a la, I don't know, the (laughs) tilt-a-whirl at Great Adventure. (laughs) Anybody could walk in and out of these facilities, they found documents, top secret documents in his desk, yeah. in his faux, well, his replica Oval Office at Mar-a-Lago. And so to get to your question about the media coverage of this, I think our hair in the media is on fire. And how could it not? Right. But it's on fire in a way that might seem subdued Because in our profession, and especially when it comes to this particular story, you don't need to pour kerosene on yourself or lighter fluid on yourself to make it more sensational. Just present the facts. 
Brother Man had top secret documents about somebody else's military posture, and that included nuclear capabilities. And it's the president of the United States. If your head doesn't explode reading that, then something's wrong with you. I also, however, caution people that they must be patient with the Department of Justice because I am old enough to remember when people were yelling at Attorney General Garland, what are you doing? Why aren't you moving? Don't you see this? Don't you see this? Even before that, it was, are you even investigating? Then we find out, oh yeah, they're investigating. Then we find out, holy shit, this is what they're investigating? And so I think, thanks to the reporting by my colleagues on the news side at the Washington Post, but also by other journalists at the New York Times and Wall Street Journal and all over town, we are getting such a picture of criminality out of that previous White House that I am sort of preparing myself mentally for the next holy shit moment. Because it's coming. Yeah. Because of who we're talking about, Donald Trump, and the fact that he has no shame, he has no moral compass, he will do anything that benefits him, the person. And so that means he's capable of anything. So what else are we going to find out that the Department of Justice already knows that is going to blow our minds even more? Yeah. I think the point you make, Jonathan, about Garland's intentionality and being patient, I do think that that's something that is being understated because given the seriousness of this, you got to get this one airtight 100% right. This needs to be a slam dunk case that even in front of a Trump appointed judge, they couldn't like overrule it, you know what I'm saying? So you're, but uh, do you feel it's like Judge you, Cannon? Right, unless it's Judge Cannon who asked for the special master, Latina, Latina, born in Colombia. Mm-hmm. Like mom is a Cuban. Don't um, get really complicated. But I was just saying, do you think just to stick to Garland and yeah. the DOJ, just say more about that because they have to get this one 100 percent right. right. And you are absolutely correct on this. He has to get it 100% right. I don't know how many Star Wars fans are out there, but in Star Wars, A New Hope, Episode 4, Luke Skywalker. Skywalker. Remember the scene. He He is in the trench of the Death Star. He's got Darth Vader on his ass okay. and two, you know, others flanking him. His sole mission is to get the proton bomb into a hole the size of this cup. I'm right? enjoying this. The chances of him being successful are narrow. They are slim. And yet, because he uses the force and trusts his instincts, he fires, the missiles go in, the Death Star is exploded. This is what Attorney General Merrick Garland is doing. It is frustrating to a lot of people who are wondering, what the hell are you doing, Attorney General? Why is this man still out there? But to Julio's point, It has to be airtight. And so I think Attorney General Garland is doing everything he is supposed to do. He is being judicious. Um, He's being maddeningly conservative, not ideologically, but in terms of temperament. But the one thing I think folks need to understand about the Attorney General and need to remember when they start questioning his seriousness of purpose in this, his first case was the Oklahoma City bombing. And that Mm. was when Timothy McVeigh Mm. drove a truck 
to the Alfred Murrah building in Oklahoma City, blowing it up. Major act of terrorism in the United States. And it was Timothy McVeigh. Yes. Timothy the white guy. Yes, a white guy who, and I, I might have this wrong, but there may have been some... I don't know, white nationalist oh, tendency. Yes. Oh, oh yes, was, oh, absolutely. It was, okay, great. It was, oh, completely. You did not yeah, get that wrong. No, no, okay, I just and you I don't have to be to, careful. They yeah, were not yeah. making that connection back then. No, we weren't. And People that, were not, but actually we were. We understood, we were like, no, but this is part of this white supremacist, et cetera, takeover. Right. It is our America bullshit, okay? And I'm glad you even put even more context in because where are we now? We're dealing with Timothy McVeigh on steroids. Hello, absolutely. Activated by a former president of the United States and the attorney general right now. The first case he was the lead investigator on was that, was the Oklahoma City bombing. And so for him, the attack on government as a brand new person within DOJ and now as attorney general, the attack on government that was the January 6th insurrection investigating a former president who not only instigated it, but then did all sorts of other things that were in violation, not only of his oath, but of the Constitution and to our values as Americans. And so that's why I say to people, one, have faith in the justice system, have faith in the attorney general, and in particular, have faith in Merrick Garland. The wheels of justice do not turn on our timeline. The court of law does not turn on our timeline like the court of public opinion does. And if the court of public opinion prevails upon justice to follow its timetable, then we very well could see the possibility of DOJ making a wrong move and not only letting Trump off the hook unnecessarily, but then emboldening him in a way that makes yeah, it the, the, really hard. Like the to stick to the Luke Skywalker Death Star, got to blow up the Death Star. If you miss it, it's, yeah. the Death Star takes over. But, like, that's but, over. Luke but, Skywalker's dead. But yeah. I would anyway. say, I would say, Jonathan, that you also agree that the perspective that I have, which is one of such frustration You know, again, as I said, we would have been put up a firing squad if we had done this. President Obama would already be sentenced. So all of this, I think it's legitimate for us to manifest frustration. Sure. Because it's part of the democratic process, right? And we are, we talk about political emotions in this group, but I actually do appreciate, and you know, I call you Capehart because it's just, I mean, that's a journalist. It's a journal. I'm just like, it's not Jonathan, it's Capehart. I appreciate Capehart's wisdom. Since I haven't seen you in three years, you've become just like light years more wise. And I just oh, appreciate I mean, that. He, I'm, he I'm, is quoting, ca- he's ca- he's he is quoting Star Wars, which is very nice. Which is very nice. I only know episode one of Star Wars. Okay. But the thing oh, is, that's is that the safe. worst. I know. I'm episode sorry. one. Yeah, I'm it's, sorry. it's the no. worst. That's what you need to do is watch Rogue One. Yeah, that okay. is. That right. is. We'll do yeah, it. Exactly. The truth is that <laughs> since all of this has happened, Jonathan, yeah. what is true is that we have seen an increase in calls for violence. In this country, you know, the civil war in terms of a right wing social media channels just kind of fanning the flames. There have been continued threats of violence towards school board officials, librarians, election workers, public health officials, members. I mean, we've seen this, right? It's frightening. And anyone who disagrees with the far right platform can be a target of these tactics. We also know that the growth of black, brown and immigrant populations in this country is really, as we know, prompting a backlash. That's like understatement, right? And this whole ridiculous replacement theory that is being cited by people who are carrying out violent attacks 
in our communities, right? In black communities, like the one in Buffalo in New York in May, it is all connected. And so my question to you is, because you are so savvy and because you are a Washington, D.C. insider, you know this, and you hang out with Republicans. I mean, not a lot, but you see them. Because they're responsible, no? Are they? How do you hold them responsible for kind of instigating this level of, well, I mean, yeah, an insecurity for many of us because we don't agree with them? So the idea of, well, I mean, I haven't, quote unquote, hung out with Republicans in a while. But, you know, this being Washington, there are distinctions made. You are either a Trump Republican or you are a never Trump Republican. The never Trump Republicans are the ones I call the traditional Republicans, the Liz Cheney's, the yeah. um, Susan Collins's, the, those folks, although I shouldn't have used that uh, last Susan, example because yeah. that's not quite right. Yeah, um, that, yeah. Um, but yes, we but get you get the idea. what I mean. It's yeah. not like former Congressman Mark Meadows, who then became chief of staff, or Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm. Lindsey Graham, mm-hmm. the senator from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So there is a distinction. In early September, when President Biden gave that speech in Philadelphia, right. where he you know, tried to thread the needle. That was our I'm, next topic. I'm talking about MAGA Republicans mm-hmm. trying to draw a line. And there is a distinction. Sorry, if you advocate violence, if you give cover to people who advocate violence, if you say, oh, if you do this, there's going to be rioting in the streets. Sorry, you're aiding and abetting violence against the country. Those folks deserve no kind of consideration, sympathy, empathy whatsoever. Whatsoever. Because you're going up against everything that we're supposed to stand for and believe in in America. At a minimum, if you believe the promise of America, what the Lindsey Grahamses and the Greens and the Gateses and all these folks, Jim Jordan... Oh, my God, Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what they're saying is destructive. I sort of lost the thread of, of your question. Well, how but, respo- but I mean, oh, how responsible? How responsible are they? How they do- are. They're very responsible. Very responsible. We would not be in this situation that we're in right now if responsible Republicans stepped out from moment one and said, candidate Trump is wrong mm. and needs to be stopped. Mm-hmm. And if they had done it en masse. Once he became President Trump, they should have stood up from moment one and said, not only is that not presidential, but we demand that you apologize, change your ways, or we're not going to do X, Y, or Z. As, you know, former, well, defeated President Trump, they should have said to him out loud, you lost the election, stop lying to the American people. And now that he is a former president, they should still be saying... The big lie is a big lie. There's no place for you in this party. And you need to go away. From Futuro Media and PRX, Latino Rebels Radio is an award-winning OG Latino podcast covering stories of the Latino experience that matter in the United States, the Caribbean, Central America, South America, and even parts of the universe. Lo que sea. Created for, about, and by Latinos. Join us every Thursday by subscribing to Latino Rebels Radio wherever you get your podcasts.
one of the people who hates Donald Trump the most is the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Can't stand him. Right. Because Mitch McConnell is an establishment Republican. Mm-hmm. And yet, Mitch McConnell, because his sole goal was to change the judiciary, to seed it with young conservative jurists who would then rise up from the circuit mm-hmm. courts mm-hmm. up to the Supreme Court, in addition to trying to change the Supreme Court, used Donald Trump, a man he can't stand. To do his thing. To take care of his own personal goal. What does that say about Mitch McConnell? Right? Well, I think it, I mean, it, that, that says a lot. But the it problem speaks for is, is that it affects all of us. Correct. Right. right. But that's the decisions that are coming from that strategy. Right. And so think about it. He goes out there and says, uh, the president of the United States incited this insurrection. Then Trump is impeached a second time. He's impeached in the House. The trial goes to the Senate. He's not convicted. Minority leader, I'm sorry, then majority leader McConnell gets up and delivers a speech where I had to, I was like, wait, hold up. I, Is that Mitch I McConnell? Have my, I have my tally here. He voted not to convict. Yeah. And yet every word out of his mouth is this motherfucker's guilty <laughs> and he did this and he is responsible it's just, and it's a stain on the country. Yeah. I was like, wait, hold up. Yeah. That example right there is what happened within the Republican Party. Right they there. used Donald Trump to achieve their own goals and let him get away with what he got away with. And now, you know, what is the analogy? They're riding the tiger and the tiger's Crashing. just, you know, yeah, chomping all got, over like, them. Yeah, and the tiger has nuclear secrets, you know, and committing, you know, and <laughs> possible screaming. crimes. Wah, 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 but this wah. is, I think this, you mentioned the speech by Biden because I do think that speech about the MAGA Republicans and, you know, and this faction, the Republican Party, doesn't believe in the Constitution, rule of law or the will of the people. And Jonathan, you actually interviewed White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre on MSNBC in early September after that speech. Let's take a listen. What you heard from the president on Thursday was he was speaking from the heart about what is currently happening, this inflection point, as he called it, uh, in this country. We need to continue and he is going to protect our democracy, protect our values, protect our freedoms, protect our rights. And he sees that all of those things that I just laid out are under assault. So he is calling on Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans uh, to really come together and make that decision and stand together to make their voices heard so that we can protect what is the most important to our value as a country. But I think it speaks to what you said about Biden and maybe waking up more to this type of McConnell, you know, that type of Mm -hmm. Republican strategy of like, we're going to win and like, let's be as, let's call a spade a spade now. And we're all in. Do you think that strategy that Biden took in September. Is that going to... And defending democracy to me. I mean, I think that... Yes. Is that going to play a role in your opinion? Yes. People are... Say more about that. Yes, because what he's talking about is democracy. What is democracy? The idea of democracy is freedom. And what is freedom as it's exercised in the United States? It is a freedom of choice, freedom to be, freedom to live. And so what did we have happen with the Supreme Court? They took away the freedom of choice. 
They took away a woman's right to her own bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. And privacy. And, right, and pri- right, oh, to and privacy. T- right to privacy. And then not only did they overturn Roe, but Justice Thomas, in the concurring opinion, wrote, oh, and by the way, we're going to go after another piece of privacy mm-hmm. rights, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, same-sex intimacy. Mm-hmm. We're right. going to go after the access, the legal right to contraception. And you know what? I think we should go look at Obergefell. Yeah, we should do something about same-sex marriage. Freedom. Freedom is at stake. And so when you talk about MAGA Republicans and what they're for and what they're pushing and really what they're against, the message from the president and the message among Democrats writes itself If you believe in democracy, which means you believe in freedom, which means you believe a woman should have a right to bodily autonomy, that same-sex couples, if they want to get married, should be able to get married, that if interracial couples want to get married, Mm -hmm. that they should be able to be married, that parents should have a say over their own children's lives and their health care, then you cannot— you absolutely cannot vote for anyone who stands in the way of that. And notice, I didn't say you must vote for a Democrat. Correct. There are Republicans who Correct. are pro-democracy Republicans, i.e. Liz Cheney, who went down in a ball of flames. But if we talk about her, I can bring up another Star Wars analogy oh, about her. Do. Um <laughs> which, we're, but, we're, Let's totally we're, confuse yeah. Maria more. <laughs> Look at you. Like, let's confuse let's go. Like, but it's oh a, my it, God. But it's a good one. I wrote a column about it. You did. This is why you, I'm so glad you brought this one up. <laughs> Continue, okay, please. Okay, so, so I'll go down okay, this I'm, road. So I'm following. Now, remember when I said Luke, Luke Skywalker, Skywalker okay. was going down that trench? Got you. And the person who told him to trust his instincts and to use the force is a man by the name of Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Kenobi. See, Hello. you know. Hello. You know Obi-Wan. Okay. Obi-Wan. So. You got this? Throughout got this. her campaign, and especially Liz Cheney as vice chair of the January 6th Select Committee, immediately struck me as Obi-Wan Kenobi. She knew by being vice chair of that committee that she was dooming her political fate. But she did it anyway. But she did it anyway. And why did she do it? Because the country was more important than her own political life. And here's where the Obi-Wan piece comes in. Now, when they're fighting on the Death Star, this is before Luke does his thing, they're fighting on the Death Star, Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. Obi-Wan says to Darth Vader... If you strike me down, I will come back more powerful than you can imagine. Darth Vader strikes him down. And just to get that's all geeky. That's when he goes. That's when he goes. But he, yeah, but he, he goes, and, and he almost like, sacri- he's like, I'm going to die. Like, strike me. Like, he was like, he I, was, I remember it's coming. this episode. It's coming. See? Obi-Wan Kenobi's like, <laughs> I'm going to get struck. This is the choice I'm making. And this, this is, is so right. And this is the choice that Liz Cheney made. I'm going to lose my primary. But by losing my primary... I am now freed up to make your life a living hell, Donald Trump. I believe that Liz Cheney will run for the Republican nomination for president. She knows she will not get that nomination because the party has changed. But But her whole goal is to just as much as possible smack around Donald Trump, make him as unacceptable as possible to the Republican Party. And if he does get the nomination... I bet you she runs as an independent as a way of continuing. Oh, so she could to be like the new Ralph Nader. Now, I, I'm going to put this actually yeah. into some real human terms because I 100% agree with that. And I think that 
there is an element of the country of Trumpers who are like cansados. <laughs> they are tired. So there's somebody that I know in Connecticut and we were talking. Mm. I was like, so you're a Trump supporter, right? She said, yes. And that's when we got into this deeper conversation. And I said, okay, but you're a woman. And so you support a woman's right to choose, right? And she was like, well, yeah, I mean, yes. yes." And I said, and you obviously, you have a lot of gay and queer friends, right? So you you believe in gay marriage. She was like, well, yeah, of course. And And I was like, so what are we talking about here? What kind of a Trump supporter are you? And then she was like, well, I'm sick of this January 6th thing. And I'm really sick of him. And I wish he would kind of disappear. And I'm sick of, in other words, as a Republican woman now, she's like, I'm turning away from Donald Trump. And I am understanding, I mean, I'm just saying like to her, you have to accept the fact that you are pro-choice and you have to accept the fact that you are pro-gay in your life on a daily basis. And I think that that's the long game that Liz Cheney is playing, right? Is that ultimately, right, the change will come. But There's this other thing that is happening, Jonathan, which again, and I love this wave that we're going on, which is, well, first of all, so Star Wars, but also the up and down and it's going to be good. And we're, you know, Star Star Wars Wars, could be the title of this podcast. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) but our colleagues in journalism, you know what's happening at CNN right now. You know what's happening at Politico right now. You know that there is this constant both sidesism, right? The constant impartiality of white men, right? Because they're well, like, that's what I was saying we're so to, impartial. We're so impartial. We but but what the point I'm making, Johnish, is like, because of this both sidesism, Trump can throw 10 smoke right. screens a day and people are like, oh, I got to cover this, Must right? Do it. So the point is, is that, so what responsibility do we have as journalists? You know, we did this. We created in the thick just to have fun and to talk politics, but you are in the trenches in the Washington Post. You see this on a daily. So I remember... During the 2016 campaign in 2015, after Trump's announcement, within two minutes of his launch, he said that Mexicans were rapists. Mm -hmm. And I heard that and I thought, um, nobody running for president has ever said anything like that and should never say anything like that. And I started paying attention. Mm. And then he did something else. Within two weeks, I wrote a column that called him a racist. Remember, this was 2015. That was a different world, journalism world then. And folks, I'm sure were like, like, what do you do? Maria and I got so much shit from people who say, how dare you bring this up? So I do remember that column when you wrote that, Jonathan, because I was like, that's important because, I mean, I remember texting you from the beach. Like I was in Maine. I was like, what the fuck did he say? But please. And then he had it printed out scrawled a note at the top and then had it sent to me by his assistant that said, Jonathan, you are the racist. Best wishes, Donald Trump. Something like that. He wrote, scrawled at the top. I need to print that out and frame it. But I bring that up because I was writing column after column after column, especially after he said that he liked war heroes who were never captured against John McCain. And when his poll numbers went up, that was the confirmation. This guy, we need to start taking him seriously. Yeah. He is no yes. longer, he's not yes. entertainment. Lots of black and brown journalists in real time yeah. were telling we their were editors, were telling their producers, we were screaming, were right? writing, were going on television saying, folks, this is hate listen, speech. Yeah. listen, we've got to take this seriously. Right. It wasn't until he started attacking the judiciary that some of my own colleagues started going, okay, you're actually right. We need to take this seriously. 
I remember having a conversation, and I'll never forget it, with Andrew Mitchell, who said, Andrew Mitchell, the dean mm. of women television journalists yeah. in Washington, she's covered pretty much every department, every White House since Reagan, the tried and true, you know, objective news journalist. And she said, at the time, I'm having such a hard time because I come from the world where you don't call the president a liar, that you don't, you know, fact check the president in real time. But that's not where we are now. And they and, knew and, it. And that's the thing. That no, was but, that was a campaign strategy by yeah, Trump right. to play off of and that. And she but I know what you're saying. The thing that makes me, you know, a little hopeful is that well, we do see the resurgence of both ciderism rearing its head. I think the genie's out of the bottle. It is too late for, I think, any journalist on the news side and certainly on the opinion side yeah. to go back and allow not just Donald Trump, but any president to stand before the American people, either at a political rally or in a speech, and outright Tell the American people two plus two equals five and then go on television and just flat out say, and, you know, he said said. he said it was two plus two is five without saying the president of the United States lied to the American people. And I think I think our our meaning the profession, our eyes are open. And I think folks, networks, reporters, executives who think that, well, we've got to give equal weight. We're beyond that. And I'll stop filibustering because I, re- I feel passionately no, I about love this. this. We're this is loving awesome. this. I remember during the... the He's the only the person who's War. ever used filibuster. Like, I'm filibustering. I'm like... He's like, yeah, like like Jimmy Stewart <laughs> and like Mr. Smith goes to <laughs> Washington. Or you continue. I'm filibustering. Like, just move no, on. We're, we're learning you're, from you, bro. You're, you're we're learning likes. from you. You're dropping knowledge. You're dropping the sermon. Go. <laughs> so I think it was during the, the bust up of Yugoslavia. And I think it was the, during the Bosnian War. Christian Amanpour was reporting from there. And at one point, she finally just said, listen, there are no two sides in this war. One side's committing genocide. The other side is fighting against it. I cannot, in good conscience as a reporter, sit here and pretend that I haven't seen what I've seen, I haven't heard what I've heard, I haven't reported what I've reported. It is my job as the eyes and ears of the world to say what is happening. And that is what's happening in this country. I think anyone who tries to make a moral equivalence between what Donald Trump has done and say what Joe Biden is doing as president or what Hillary Clinton did um, when she was secretary of state is missing everything and is actually aiding and abetting the erosion of our not only of the profession, but of our small D democratic institutions and certainly of our democracy. You know, it's interesting because Maria and I talk about this constantly. That's our obsession. I mean, that's why we love having K-Part on because we realize we're not the only ones who are obsessed. Right, but it's also you take the January 6th, and I do, as someone who writes opinion as well, like, you're absolutely right. It's like, it's a responsibility to bring this point of view. The January 6th attack happened. Maria and I were both like, we've seen this rodeo before in Latin America, and this is a soft coup. Right. We both saw it. Right. Completely. And there was this resistance. Yep. Right. To be like, it was, you know, what was it, an insurrection or a riot or whatever. But I have seen the word sort of like coup or attempted coup start 
gravitating more into the quote unquote major outlets because after you see the January 6th hearings, you're like, how can this not be right. a coordinated coup attempt, right? So to your point, I do think it's changing, but the problem is that Trump and Trump land has this right wing machine right. that just amplifies the other side and you just live in your little bubble and they're going to always think that two plus two equals five. Right. You know, that is the reality of where we are. And Fox has been there. Fox will always be there. But that doesn't mean that those of us not in the Fox bubble have to try to appeal to those folks. Right. We need to, our job is to, yeah, is to like tell, I said be to my honest, friend, I was like, what tell do you the care truth. about? You voted for Donald Trump. You care about a woman's right to choose? Yeah. In other words, let's be factual about those things. And that is our role. You're right. And we should not be quiet. To continue, we do have one last segment to filibuster on. Um, it's called La Ultima y Nos Vamos. The K-Hart's last one. Filibuster. Yes, exactly. The last one before you go. So um, we like to take moments to talk about what makes us happy, what brings us joy. And so, yeah, what you've been doing these days to bring a little bit of joy in your life, Mr. Jonathan Capehart. Well, my husband and I have been going to Martha's Vineyard for the last five years. Nice. Just like for four days, you know, I had a bed and breakfast. And you were like, oh, next year we're going to rent a house. And then it never happens. Last year, we stayed in a house that other friends rented. And we're like, oh, this house is, this is nice. So then we come home and then my husband, you know, starts thinking, okay, so how can we get in on this house next year on our own? This is literally I know, this my is so life BTS right now. Please go. Right. So should we do two weeks? Should yes. we do three weeks? We find out. And I also, I am very mindful that this is a very. It's privilege. It's a very privileged, okay, we get that. very we get privileged that. Yes. thing. You work hard though, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you work on, you've been working hard Seven all days these a decades. Week. So. <laughs> He comes to me and he says, so guess what I just found out? If you rent for more than 30 days, you save on the taxes. That's true. And I said, that's true. (gasps) That is true. Wait, (laughs) okay. So I had no idea whether I would even be able to do five weeks or anything. I said, let's just do it. Fast forward, we've done it. It was the best decision I slash we have made in a long time, because getting out of Washington, having a change of scenery, going to some place that is beautiful. Our house was in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't in, in the hubbub mm-hmm. of Edgartown or Oak Bluffs. It was just in the middle of nowhere, down a dirt road. And the other thing about Martha's Vineyard is that there are so many people there, African-Americans in particular, yeah. who I wouldn't have seen otherwise. No, it's a, I ran it's, into, it's a genuine wait, place wait, wait, of friends from, from Los Angeles who just happened to be on the streets. Like, hey, how yeah. are you? I thought you were going to say I ran to President Obama. No, I was just going to say, like, it's a genuine place of black joy. Like, it it's is. become a genuine, like, it has history, has roots. Being based in Massachusetts, I know the history of Martha's Vineyard. But it's really joyful to watch new generations sort of remember those mm-hmm. roots and, and kind of, that's what I love about Martha's Vineyard. It's or as they yeah. say, it's the vineyard. It's also really beautiful. It's beautiful. I've only been once. I have to be invited by somebody named Kate Park. <laughs> but yeah, um, the other thing is, it's like a giant family reunion. Yeah, that's what I've been And hearing. it is probably the first time I've been someplace where I, this is what brings me joy, being someplace where 
I know and feel, I don't have to look over my shoulder. Yeah. I don't have to walk on eggshells. I can just be. You can be Jonathan. And I am there with other Black people and Black families, but and not just Black, just everyone who's there. The beauty of that place is going someplace where I see Black people on vacation. They're not working in the hotel or the mm-hmm, restaurant. They're mm-hmm. on vacation. They're yeah. riding bikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The kids are running up and, and down the beautiful. street. And the, I mean, just, I mean, it is. Everybody it's is just really, such a beautiful It's a beautiful site. place, beautiful people. So that's what's given me we joy. We need to get that's more awesome. Latinos up in there. We're going to have to go get some I, Latinos up in Martha's I've Vineyard. I've played soccer. In I've played soccer in the vineyard. Yeah. We've had to I'm take trying to, my, I'm trying to get my family because it actually came up. And they were like, Martha's Vineyard and this and that. And I was like, Talked all about this historical black presence. And they were like, but, and I was like, we should go. Awesome. We should go because it is a physically beautiful place that has this historical meaning and that now it is a cultural spot to be. Like if you identify with the progressive part of the United States of America, yeah. So there are Trumpers there though, just to be clear. There there are some. uh, Yeah, there's. They're everywhere. So Jonathan Capehart, your full name, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I just call him Capehart. You know, you also won a Pulitzer Prize. So you are my fellow Pulitzer Prize winning colleague journalist. You also received, uh, I think, a special sighting at the Pulitzers or where you did a special visit or something like that. No? Really? What? What what I miss? Yeah. What? I don't know, but they told me that. Okay. I guess oh, the Pulitzer something. people did? Hey, Pulitzer. <laughs> Send that certificate. <laughs> I give you my address. Yeah. <laughs> Come to our party when we receive ours, um, I guess, in October. But anyway, you are an amazing, award-winning journalist. You are a friend and colleague, associate editor of the Washington Post, anchor of MSNBC's Sunday show, True True. Berta Hinojosa is one of my mom's favorite journalists of all time. I love Jonathan Capehart. I love Jonathan Capehart. I love him. I love him. So thank you so much, Capehart, for joining us on In the Thick. It's so great to see you. Oh my God, Maria, Julio, thank you so much. This is fun. Fun. Understatement. I'm Maria Hinojosa. And I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. Remember, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us because it helps. Remember, you can listen to us on all major podcast platforms. Check us out on the web at inthethick.org. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at In The Thick Show. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. In The Thick is produced by Noor Saudi, Harsha Nahata, and Lisa Salinas with editorial support from Fernanda Santos. Our audio engineering team is Stephanie LeBeau, Judith Russo, Gabriela Baez. Our marketing manager is Luis Luna. The music you heard is courtesy of National Captain's EZK Records. And our thanks to Robert Fraser, who recorded us at Feature Story News Studios. See you on our next episode. Thank you for listening, dear listener. Nos vemos. Remember, no te vayas. The force be with you. May the force be with you. (laughs) The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Futuro Media or its employees.